previously on Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Well, I think if they win, I should get all the credit, and if they lose, I should not be blamed at all, okay? But it'll probably be just the opposite. Uh, when they win, I think they're going to do very well. I'll probably be given very little credit, even though in many cases I told people to run. And they ran, and they turned out to be very good candidates. You know, they turned out to be very good candidates. Uh, but usually what would happen is, uh, when they do well, I won't be given any credit. And if they do badly, they will blame everything on me. So I'm prepared for anything, but we'll defend ourselves. That's good smoke. It's saucy. A little too saucy. Saucy? Mm. Kind of saucy. If I speak, I am in, in big trouble. In big trouble, and I don't want to be in big trouble. I stab in the face with a soldering iron. This is William Hong, and you're listening to the Society Show. People of Earth, how are you? Broadcasting live to take across the nation and the world from the Lorena Bobbitt Theater. On the banks of the Danube in beautiful North Seattle. It's the podcast for a world gone mad. This is the Society Show. And now, your host, the object of many curses this equinox, Christian Patterson. Your buddy, Kim Kalen. Yeah, I know about the Society Show. I love it, that podcast. He's the best. Hello, hello, everybody. My name is Christian. I am your host. Thank you for tuning into the show. Do you believe in society's laws? I want to start out the show by uh, announcing a celebrity death. Rest in Rest in peace, Gallagher, classic comedian. He's always smashing stuff and just doing crazy stuff. And I mean, he was crazy, crazy funny guy. So rest in peace, Gallagher. Here's a little news flash. It's not funny. In fact, it's pretty freaking unfunny. I also wanted to say up top, stay tuned for the end of the show. We actually got a musical guest this week, and that musical guest would be me. I recorded a cover of the classic Sam Cooke song, What a Wonderful World. And of course, that's a classic song, but I took some liberties and um, I kind of took some of the lyrical ideas and lyrical content I liked the most and elaborated on them, took the song in new and interesting directions, so stay tuned for that at the end of the show. I was life treating you, know? He caught me in bed with his wife. Before we get into anything, though, I would first like to introduce DJ Skidoo. All I'm doing is Xanax, cocaine, and marijuana. Think about it. Death to America. I was here. In the Society Show Soundboard Band. Featuring the world-renowned organist, Roy Dickerson. 
And of course, many thanks to Cliff Dornhofer. Dornhofer. I never figured out how to say his last name. He is uh, known for his deep, booming voice that you heard at the beginning of the show. You know, we're living in a society. Before we uh, really get into stuff and start talking about stuff, um, I have something personal I'd like to bring up. This is great for me. I've been waiting for this for years, literally, but I can now say I finally bought a PlayStation 5. I'm looking at it. I'm actually not only looking at it, I'm touching it right now, and I'll definitely wipe it down so I don't leave any fingerprints. I want this thing looking pristine. I got my new PlayStation 5. Very happy to have it. I was just going to talk about it real quick at the top of the show, talk about some of the games I've been playing. I played Astro's Playroom, which comes for free on all PS5s. It's a cute little game. It controls really well. It's basically a like a Super Mario Odyssey, a 3D Super Mario type game that's the closest parallel I'd describe it to, but uh, it's really short and sweet. I beat it over like two two play sessions, but for a free game like that, it controls exceptionally well. Like the controls feel so tight and the level design is pretty interesting. So for, I mean, when you think free game, you expect something like Wii Bowling where it's like, yeah, you can just kind of play this when you have friends over, and it never really gets old, but it's not really that deep either. But no, this is like a legit game, and although it's short, it is very fun. So if you get a pl- if you uh, plan on getting a PS5, try that game out. Play a video game. I also played this game called Dirt 5, which is a uh, off-road car racing game. It's pretty fun. I only played it about an hour. It lacks one of my favorite features in racing games, though, namely being able to race as 90s Japanese cars. <laughs> that's my that's the main thing I'm looking for when I play a racing game or at least a wide array of customizable cars. I mean Gran Turismo is great for that. You know, in one race you could have like all Lamborghinis and the next race you could do like Volkswagen buses versus Volkswagen Beetles versus Mazda Miatas or something. I don't even know. But uh, anyway, that's besides the point. You only have a few cars, so that's a little disappointing, but the graphics look great. Some other things I've been playing with it is I uh, have been playing games like Disco Elysium, which I played on PS4, but is unfortunately kind of unbearable on PS4 because the load times are so long. On PS5, that like fixes that, and that was the most glaring issue with the game on PS4. So. I want to play it again, and um, I also installed Cyberpunk 2077, which, although it's not nearly as glitchy as when it came out, it still had issues with chugging and kind of being graphically slow on PS4, so I'll give that a try. My life is like a video game, trying hard to beat the stage, all while I am still collecting coins. Well, now that's about all I have to say. I'll keep you updated if there's any more juicy PS5 developments for me. 
I want to start this show with a uh, another fun fact segment. Kane is in the building. Fun fact! I did one last week about how the word Nazi is in the Nazi party and nacho, as in nachos, have the same etymological origin. If you're interested in that, go listen to last episode. Here's a different fun fact. Kane is in the building. Fun fact! Did you know that there was a West German hockey team that in 1987 came under scrutiny because they were allowing Muammar Gaddafi to advertise the Green Book, his short philosophical text, on their shirts. So um, I I think I let that sentence get ahead of me, but I put all the details in there. I might have... I I think I started it as a question and ended it as a statement, but there you have it. So, in 1987, this hockey team called the Iserloin Roosters, although at the time, I believe they were known as ECD in English. I I think that's how... ECD, maybe that's German, ECD, Iserloin, they played... Esserlone. Uh, it's a hard word. I-S-E-R-L-O-H-N. I mean, it's not hard to pronounce, but it's it doesn't sound natural off the tongue, I guess. Let me listen to how this pronounces it. Ezerlone. That's what it... Ezerlone. The Ezerlone Roosters, then known as ECD Ezerlone. They were... They had a manager, or I guess... Uh, I don't know if that's what they call it. Maybe this says executive named Heinz Weifenbach. Quite the German name. He was born in 1939, so he might have just narrowly missed, might have just narrowly been too young to be Hitler Youth. But so Heinz Weifenbach, he was a large, round, rotund man with a mustache and He's kind of what you'd picture if you imagined a fat guy, but German. So he's managing this hockey team, right? And they were having a lot of financial issues and they were underpaying their players, which, I mean, that's a big no-no. And in the summer of 1987, the team was basically rejected from the Ice Hockey Bundesliga. Their license to play Ice Hockey Bundesliga or whatever um, was rejected. And then when it was finally granted two weeks before the start of the season, it was only because the other nine clubs... They basically told the league, like, hey, make a deal with them to let them play this team, but or let them play this time, but, like, this is their last warning, and if the club folds during the season, then so be it. And, like, the the hockey club owed the tax department 3.4 million U.S. dollars. And the the German equivalent of the IRS did come after him. They were like, hey, you have to pay this and declared the club insolvent. 
And Vivenbach goes up to him and is like, don't worry, we got this all handled. I have this amazing sponsor in my back pocket who will pay us 10 million Deutschmarks. And who the sponsor turned out to be was an or the organization that marketed Gaddafi's Green Book. It was called the Center for the Studies and Researches of the Green Book. And then, so on December fourth, nineteen eighty-seven, Issa Day Iserloin uh, took to the ice against a team called SB Rosenheim, and they had they were advertising the Green Book on their jerseys. And it's quite the funny ad. It it basically just looks like a book, a green book. And then in yellow outline, it says, M. Gaddafi, das grüne Buch, das grüne Buch, <laughs> the green book. Um, and, you know, I'll get a little into the aftermath of this. This was a huge controversy. The uh, German Ice Hockey League, known as DEB, um, Deutsch Ice Hockey Bundesliga, basically banned the use of the Green Book as sponsorship, um, saying that it's religious or political advertising. You can't do that in German sports. So um, they return the next game without a sponsor. And the funny thing is, after he got banned, so Heinz Weifenbach really wanted to, like, cozy up to Gaddafi. He was in this, and he wanted to save it, so he, he really, like, he flew to to Libya with 25 journalists to meet Gaddafi, and Gaddafi signed copies of the Green Book, Gaddafi didn't really know about the situation. Um, this remarks that uh, when when he was there, he turns to one of the journalists, Gaddafi does, and is like, wait, what is the name of this tennis club I'm sponsoring? Um, so he didn't really get, he, he, you know, we think of Gaddafi as like a mastermind, but he did not mastermind this. He just kind of fell into it. And that's not very fun. And so that's all about the uh, German or West German hockey team who advertise Myanmar Gaddafi's Green Book on their shirts. Pretty interesting. Kane is in the building. Fun fact! And that was your fun fact of the episode. Kane is in the building. Fun fact! Now, for this next segment, this is something that my intern, Napoleon Hitler, yes, that's his real name, he wanted me to talk about this. And, you know, if you listen to the show back in the day before our long hiatus, I did say I was putting an end to talking about Elon Musk on the show because I was like, everyone talks about him. Elon Musk just wants attention. I don't want to give him attention, so whatever. And he is formally on the Society Show denunciation list, a list of people who are denounced from the show. But um, Napoleon Hitler wanted me to talk about this, and it's what everyone's kind of talking about. So let's talk about how Elon Musk has completely failed at uh, dealing with Twitter, and he's... 
and just absolutely tanking the company. I mean, and I think he just seems like the biggest idiot ever. If you didn't think he was an idiot before, like, how could you not now? Uh, let, let's. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, everyone, that is Napoleon, my intern. You, you can recognize him by his nasally voice. Hey, I suggested this segment. I didn't mean Elon Musk's an idiot. I think he's awesome and epic. Uh, well, I'm not gonna talk about that. I mean, this situation definitely makes him look like an idiot. He was forced to buy a $44 billion company that he didn't even really want. I mean, let's be honest, at least not at that price. And then now it's like worth more than or worth less than nothing in record time. No, the, the media is being mean to Elon. He said it himself. More people are coming back to Twitter ever since he took over. So just shut up about it. <laughs> you know, Napoleon, you are my intern. And uh, it, wait a second. Can we talk to our connection at the community college? Because when they're sending us interns, they are not sending their best. Excuse me, I'm standing right here. You're not even supposed to be out here. You don't make the show. I make the show. I'm the society show. You are not. Well, Elon Musk is more important than the society show. All right, everyone. He just stormed off the stage. So, um, just so we're clear. So both the audience and my intern, Napoleon, know that will never happen again. And I will make sure of it. Anyway, so I'm reading from IGN.com. Now that I have my uh, PS5, I'm uh, having a real gamer moment, getting my news off gamer sites. My life is like a video game, trying hard to beat the stage, all while I am still collecting coins. Uh, just kidding. This is just probably the best article that I found about it for my purposes. Headline, Elon Musk Twitter takeover and the chaos that followed the complete timeline. Our story starts on April 4th, 2022. The, the CEO of Tesla, as we know, Elon Musk, announced he now owns 9.2% of Twitter. And this made him the largest single stakeholder of Twitter. And then immediately the next day, this article seems to be implying that Elon Musk uh, pushed for this change. Although I'm not really sure because people have been talking about an edit button for years. But on the day after, Twitter confirms it's working on an edit button, which I've always maintained is a terrible idea, even though people like clamor for it. On April 11th, Elon Musk decides not to join Twitter's board of directors, which CEO Parag Agrawal wrote an internal memo, quote, this is for the best. On April 14th, 
three days after Elon Musk decides not to join Twitter's board of directors, Elon Musk offers to buy Twitter for $44 billion, which amounts to $54.20 per share in cash, which was 54% higher than the company's share price the day before Musk began his recent investment into the company. And so Twitter was valued at the time at $37 billion, which keep in mind is also very overinflated. Its real value, I suppose, is less than that. But the value of tech companies on the stock market kind of are all over the place. This fall and continuing um, from this, this... And by this, they mean Elon Musk offering to buy Twitter. Followed a letter sent to Twitter from Musk following his investment to become the majority shareholder, saying Twitter would need to be transformed as a private company or he would leave. Since, quote, since making my investment, I now realize the company will neither thrive nor serve its free speech societal imperative in its current form, Musk said. Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. If the deal doesn't work, given that I don't have confidence in management, nor nor do I believe I can drive the necessary change in the public market, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. So basically, just like, it's just an empty threat trying to swing his balls around. And that's what it initially was. April 15th, the next day, Twitter's board of directors attempt to block Musk's takeover. They unanimously decide to adopt a shareholder rights plan to block Musk's takeover. This is what's called as a poison pill. And this basically gives people who own less stock the right to purchase more stock for less money. So the idea is that you're driving the costs up... So the company becomes more expensive and harder for the other person to hostily take over. And then on April 25th, Twitter accepts Elon Musk's deal. That's 10 days later. So I think they were like, you know, this guy's swinging his balls. Let's just grab on and pull him and make him scream. (laughs) April 26th, the next day, Twitter co-founder says Elon Musk is the singular solution I trust. Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey said Elon Musk was the singular solution I trust following his $44 billion billion proposal to purchase the company. Dorsey said that Twitter's return to being a private company as a result of the sale is the correct first step. Kind of stupid, and I'm... I bet Jack, well, it probably doesn't matter now because who cares? He's rich, but I bet he regrets saying that on some level. May 17th, so this is almost a month later, Elon Musk's Twitter buyout cannot move forward until number of bot accounts are verified. Musk said his Twitter buyout cannot move forward, blah, blah, blah. Twitter's CEO publicly refused to show proof of less than 5%, adding that this deal cannot move forward until he does. Musk said his own research led him to believe that Twitter had 20% fake or spam accounts, but it could be much higher. 
So he's basically trying to weasel out of it with the stupid bot excuse, which is dumb followers like Napoleon, who's probably weeping in the back because I reamed him out on the show. He probably still repeats this dumb talking point like it's about the bots. No, oh, shut the hell up. No, you're old. I hate my new intern. We gotta bring back Ben Laden. But he's down at the University of or California State University Chico or whatever it's called. Anyway, July 8th, two days later, Elon Musk terminates his deal to buy Twitter and is promptly sued for it. <laughs> So, yeah, remember, he did not want this website 11 days after that. Twitter's lawsuit against Elon Musk was set to start in October. October. Elon Musk agrees to buy Twitter for $44 billion. October 27th. Elon Musk walks into Twitter HQ doing the cringiest thing you've ever seen referencing an overplayed reddit meme he walked in um holding a sink saying let that sink in that same day elon musk completes the takeover and fires um other top executives then october 30th three days later twitter reportedly planning to charge 20 dollars per month for verification even for those already verified you can already hear how that's a terrible idea. Two days later, November 1st, Elon Musk defends Twitter verification fee, then says it will only be $8. November 4th, Twitter lays off up to 3,700 employees and is now being sued for it, and I think they have a pretty good case. They've, they violated federal and California law by not giving enough notice. November 9th, Twitter adds an official non-paid gray verification checkmark. Then Elon Musk kills it. Following confusion from Twitter accounts impersonating brands and people, there was the non-paid gray verification with the blue verification if you have Twitter blue. But then this official checkmark went away. And um, also what's worth noting is that I primarily look at Twitter on desktop and desktop Twitter is a little different than the phone Twitter. For example, some of these changes like I did not have on desktop a difference between blue check marks and gray. They all look the same, but I could click on them and it would say like this person is verified through Twitter blue or this person is verified because they're a remarkable person or whatever. Now let's fast forward to November 10th. Elon Musk reportedly tells Twitter employees that bankruptcy isn't out of the question. Okay. And then, same day, Twitter could be at risk for billions of dollars in fines from the Federal Trade Commission. As reported by The Verge, one of Twitter's internal attorneys warned others in the company 
in the company Slack that engineers could bear the, quote, personal, professions, and legal risk faced by the company. This is in part due to a 2011 deal with the Federal Trade Commission that gives, quote, the body authority over its data security practices with violations potentially resulting in hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars in fines. It also said that Musk seems to care little about this particular development, despite its potential to, quote, destroy the company. November 11th, and this, this article was written on the 12th, so there's probably a bunch more developments, but also keep in mind this show is recorded live to tape. We're not breaking news. Um, So, November 11th, Twitter blew suspended after wave of account impersonators create chaos. Twitter blue's launch was suspended while it deals with a wave of impersonators that have taken over the platform. It was confirmed that existing Twitter blue subscribers would retain access to their features, but new subscriptions were put on halt. Wow, who could have seen that coming? Pay $8 and pretend to be your legit? That's super easy and... Come on! Yeah, so, I mean... The thing is, Elon Musk was, like, telling everyone, like, oh, I can fix this company, blah, blah, blah. But now it seems like he's just going to be like, yeah, I wrecked the company on purpose. Aren't I so smart? (laughs) And all those fans, like, Napoleon and back will stay the same thing. Hey, man, everybody on Twitter thinks you're a dumb nerd. And, you know, I'm just going to wrap up this show. Before I do my last little segment, one thing I want to say about this show is I'm, I might try to make it a little shorter, not because I want to make less content, but I want to make the content I do make better. I What I want to try to avoid is the episodes where I spend the last half of it just kind of droning on. I want it to stay exciting. Um, so we'll experiment with that, maybe like 45 minute 30 to 45 minute episodes, we'll see. And again, a reminder, I'll be performing my cover of What a Wonderful World by Sam Cooke at the end of the episode, too. When I called on Twitter to suspend Donald Trump's uh, account that you did not agree, and I I would urge you to join me, because here we have Donald Trump who has 65 million Twitter followers. And I, you know, a lot of people on Twitter have been talking about morning Twitter and like, oh, what's your favorite tweet? Let's look at your favorite tweets. They're the funniest moments on Twitter. Really, you know, reminisce about the old school because Twitter doesn't seem long for this world. And a lot of the tweets I saw people sharing were pretty recent, like 2016 at the earliest. So I'm going to go real deep to this is a Twitter incident that will be remembered long after Twitter in a hundred years when they talk about like early days of online shaming this will be the case they look at I remember this happening on Twitter if you're a real Twitter old head from back in 2013 you'll remember this Justine Sacco 
So, um, and if you don't remember the name, you'll probably remember the details. This is from a New York Times Magazine article in 2015 by John Ronson as she made the long journey from New York to South Africa to visit family during the holidays in 2013, Justine Sacco, 30 years old and the senior director of corporate communications at IAC, began tweeting acerbic little jokes about the indignities of travel. There was one about a fellow passenger on the flight from JFK International Airport. Quote, weird German dude. You're in first class. It's 2014. Get some deodorant. Inner monologue as I inhale DO. Thank God for pharmaceuticals. Then, during her layover at Heathrow, chili, cucumber sandwiches, bad teeth, back in London. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then here's, here's where it really hit the stride. On December 20th, before the final leg of her trip to Cape Town, quote, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white. She chuckled to herself as she pressed send on this last one, then wandered around Heathrow's international terminal for half an hour, sporadically checking her phone. No one replied, which didn't surprise her. She only had 170 Twitter followers. Sako boarded the plane. It was an 11-hour flight, so she slept. When the plane landed in Cape Town and was taxiing on the runway, she turned on her phone. Right away, she got a text from someone she hadn't spoken to since high school. Quote, I'm so sorry to see what's happening. Sako looked at it, baffled. Then another text. You need to call me immediately. It was from her best friend. Then her phone exploded with more texts and alerts. Then it rang. It was Hannah. Quote, you're the number one worldwide trend on Twitter right now, she said. Sako's Twitter feed had become a horror show. Quote, in light of Justine Sako disgusting racist tweet, I'm donating to care today. And quote, how did Justine Sako get a PR job? Her level of racist ignorance belongs on Fox News. Hashtag AIDS can affect anyone. And this one, this one cuts deep. Quote, I'm an IAC employee, same company, and I don't want at Justine Sacco doing any communications on our behalf ever again, ever. And then one from her former employer, IAC, the corporate owner of the Daily Beast, OKCupid and Vimeo, quote, this is an outrageous, offensive comment. Employee in question currently unreachable on an international flight. And then it talks about how people are like, oh my god, I can't wait to see her face. This is going to be crazy. She figures out she gets fired when her plane lands. And I kind of went into the beginning of this article because it is entirely from Justine Sacco's perspective. However... If you were on Twitter at the time, you probably have a much different perspective because this tweet was all anyone talked about during her, like, 12-hour flight. Like, people, it was like Christmas. People were, like, giddy with anticipation. 
when is Justine Sacco gonna land? Holy crap, this is crazy. How could someone tweet this? Oh my god, this lady's so racist. What the hell? That is what it was like for 12 straight hours on the website of Twitter. And <laughs> I mean, I think that is the most goaded, legendary twitter moment if i'm being honest like obviously the tweet's terrible but it, i mean it was almost 10 years ago now so it's it doesn't hit like it did 10 years ago it, it hits a little different now where it's like that is so quaint because now twitter has about 10,000 people who would tweet stuff like that in a much more hateful way all the time. But, I mean, it, it is pretty crazy that she does PR for, like, a major conglomerate, and she did that. And, you know, how they said IAC owns um, OkCupid... I did find that um, I found her LinkedIn, and she has a really interesting work history. Um, so from twenty eleven, from two thousand nine to twenty eleven, she first worked as a publicist for WWE, and then she worked eight months as a manager, corporate communications and publicity, basically a PR manager. For WWE. She then was promoted to... Or then she did started working at IAC for two years. She worked as a director of corporate communications for a, almost two years. And then senior director of corporate communications for seven months. And then funny enough, you know, you'd think maybe that would have like hurt her career a lot having just being like the biggest news like this, but she was really only unemployed for about eight months and she started working for FanDuel, the sports betting thing. She worked there three years and six months as a director of communications and then as vice president of communications. She left FanDuel in January 2018, um, and then she became the vice president of communications for Match Group, going back to her OKCupid okay root, her roots, and um, since then she got promoted to the chief communications officer. Oh, wait, I was assuming that Match Group was like Match.com, but it seems like something else. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, oh, maybe it is Match.com. So Match Group has both... Oh, it has a lot of things. It has Tinder, OkCupid, something called Hakuna, Plenty of Fish... A thing called Pairs, which seems like a Japanese dating website. Something called Our Time, which is an old people dating website. A French dating website. Okay, so yeah, it is just like a bunch of dating websites. Um, anyway, yeah, that's Justine Sacco. If you're not familiar with that, I mean, I don't think anything on Twitter has or ever will live up to that, honestly. I think if you missed it, you missed something kind of historic, to be honest. And uh, with that, my name is Christian.
You have been listening to The Society Show. You can follow me on Twitter at ChristianIsCool. Is is spelled I-Z, Christian, I-Z, cool. You can follow the show on Twitter at Society underscore show. You can reach out to the show at SocietyShowPodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you'd like to learn a little more about the show, check out SocietyShow.net. And I will sign off for now, but don't forget the show will close with a very special cover of What a Wonderful World by Sam Cooke by yours truly, me, Christian Patterson. Thank you for listening to The Society Show. Don't know much about history Don't know much biology Don't know much about a science book Don't know much about the French I took Don't know much about philosophy Don't know much epistemology Don't know much about metaontology Don't know much about philology don't know much about ethnolinguistics. Don't know much sociolinguistics. Don't know much cultural anthropology. Don't know much historical archaeology. Don't know much historiography. Don't know much about ethnomusicology. Don't know much comparative literature. Don't know much computational economics. Don't know much human development theory. Don't know much about cognitive psychology. Don't know much political sociology. Okay, here's the math part. Get ready for the math part. What a wonderful world it would be. Don't know much about geography. Don't know much trigonometry Don't know much about algebra Don't know what a slide rule is for Don't know much about geometry Don't know much Pythagorean theorem Don't know much commutative algebra Don't know much Boolean algebra Don't know much about statistics don't know much general topology Don't know much about axioms Don't know much about Q analogs What a wonderful world it would be